0: Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad Podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with Juanita Ingram, matriarch of the Ingram family, and the brains behind the award-winning reality docuseries, The Expat's International Ingrams. Welcome, Juanita, thanks for chatting with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Could you share with us a little bit about your own stories an expat? What took you abroad, and how long have you lived overseas?
1: Sure, my journey started in 2011. We moved to London. From Indiana and I'm originally from Chattanooga. We moved because of my husband's job. And so I am what people consider the typical trailing spouse. And so he kept getting promoted. And we moved to London, lived there for about five and a half years, moved back to the US for a bit, and then we moved to Taiwan for the last two years for my husband's job. And just two months ago, we moved to Singapore. Again, for my husband's job. We've been doing this for about 10 years now. This makes our 10th year uh, as expats.
0: What inspired you to create your reality show, The Expats International Ingrams?
1: Well, you know, my background, I'm a licensed attorney. And at one point in time, I had my own law practice. I'm a contracts attorney. I did some employment law. And I had clients that were in the reality space and genre that I represented. I was on set with them and negotiating agreements and seeing filming and taping and just really learning about that particular genre within the film industry. I'm also an actress and I was signed to an agency in the UK and I started in theater as a child and went back to acting when I couldn't practice law full time when we were living in London. And I just saw a need for a family oriented show that really showcased what it was like to live abroad. You know, we just didn't have anything that did that. And as a filmmaker and a storyteller, you always want to do something that hasn't been done. Within the reality spectrum, also, there's usually a stereotypical formula for entertainment, for drama that is oftentimes or it feels very produced, and I wanted to create something that was very organic, positive, that was family-friendly, you could inspire kids to live abroad, and really showcase what we go through as expats, because people have a lot of misconceptions that we're on this perpetual vacation. And that is not the case. I think the only thing we had close to this was maybe house hunters and finding a home is like one tenth of what you really have to undertake and consider when moving abroad. So it had never been done. We used to do an event called Soul Food Sundays in London where we would go from house to house. And it was basically all the African-American people that we could contact or living in London. And we were having a barbecue celebrating a family that was moving back to America. And we could have been anywhere. We were barbecuing. Kids were running on the lawn. You know, we were listening to music. And then I looked up and there was Windsor Castle. And the idea Mm -hmm. of the show came to me then because I was like, this is different. And you just want to showcase something that is different and unique. And not everybody has been exposed to that. And then those who are thinking about it, you can inform them what it's really like. That's how it all really just came about. I had the idea for the show about four to five years ago. But I knew when we moved to Taiwan that that was the right
0: time. What's the intention of the show?
1: The show is built on a format that's called edutainment. That was actually a phrase that was coined by the Black Panther movement back in the 70s when they created content that was both educational and entertaining. And so the purpose or intention of the show, of course, is to showcase what it's really like to live abroad and then also to entertain people, (laughs) because we all need to laugh. I think we're living in a time right now where people want to escape. Not everyone is going to live abroad, but you can take them along the journey. And then also to educate people what it's like to live in other countries, to learn other languages, and particularly for children, what it's like to maybe think about studying abroad, learning another language, being a third culture kid. So exposing people to the lifestyle of being an expat, which a lot of people told me they didn't even know what the word expat meant. They thought maybe initially that maybe that was our last name or something. So I think when you're in the expat community and you're living abroad as an American, you take a lot of things for granted because you're just in the mix of living. But a lot of people are really curious. And so it's to both educate and entertain and hopefully to inspire. Which episode of the show is your favorite so far? Oh gosh, you know, that's like, ask which is your favorite baby? Because because it's a self-funded show, saved my entire salary my last year before we moved and funded this myself. If I'm not in front of the camera, I'm probably behind it. I'm directing, I'm producing, I'm editing. And so it's kind of hard. Each episode has something that I absolutely love. I think if I had to pick one, it would be the last episode because it really is the culmination of the journey and the season. And you get to see so much depth. I've had people tell me that they cried grown men um, tell me that they cried. And I just think that there are so many beautiful parts and arcs in the story. I I look at everything from a producer's lens. And I think it's one of the cleanest episodes that we did because we just kept getting better and better (laughs) at the process (laughs) It was just a lot of fun to make, but I think maybe the last episode would be the best one for me because it sums
0: everything up. What has surprised you most being an American abroad? What were you not expecting in your life abroad? Initially, when we first moved, and it was the
1: first time that I stepped away from practicing law full-time in a very traditional way, I was not expecting to experience what is called or phrased as trailing spouse syndrome or trailing spouse depression. I was not ready and I didn't see it coming. And in fact, I didn't really diagnose or a real thing until I was researching for the show years later. I started looking it up. I looked up the phrase trailing spouse. I had no idea that the syndrome or depression was a thing. And when I read the symptoms, I was like, oh, so that's what that first four months of living in London was about. I literally sat on the couch and cried every day for four months straight, just trying to figure out my identity and who am I and purpose. And it's not as though, you know, I love my kids. They love me. Being a mom, it's a truly great calling. I think it's one of the best blessings that I've ever had in my life. But for some people and for most women, you know, we're very multifaceted, multidimensional beings. I was more than their mom the day that they came into the world, and I'll always be that. But so often we equate what we do with our self-worth, with who we are, and I really had to go on a journey to, one, mourn the trajectory of my own career. And while I voluntarily signed up happily to be Mm -hmm. living abroad because of my husband's promotion, I didn't really take stock of what that meant for me and my career, exactly how I was going to have to mourn and grieve the trajectory that I was on or what I had planned for myself and really do a pivot and shift from feeling like a trailing spouse to going to an accompanying spouse, which is a different space. It's a different headspace. You're not really focused on what you gave up, but you're looking at opportunity and what's in front of you. And that journey to get from point A to B, I did not plan nor anticipate that. And I wish I had, I did this time, obviously, you know, I did a whole show. So I'm, I, I found the purpose and you know, really thrived in it. But I I had to engage a life coach and really step into this new space. I wanted to be a judge at one point in time. And I still may be, I just may have a judge show. You know, I just may manifest that differently now. <laughs> Being able to explore all of the things that God has blessed me with the capability of doing was a mindset that I had to shift. And I didn't anticipate it the first time around, but I'm glad I've got the knack at it. Got it, you know, yeah.
0: together. I wish I had read about that beforehand, so I would have been prepared. A portion of your show's proceeds go to fight poverty and empower women through Dress for Success Greater London and Dress for Success Chattanooga. Could you tell us more about what these organizations are and who the women are that they benefit? Absolutely, and I love this organization. I
1: am the founder of Dress for Success Greater London and the founder of Dress for Success Chattanooga. And Dress for Success is a global organization that empowers women. To get them back into the workplace we give them interview training and interview attire and i like to say that we dress women from the inside out there are over 155 affiliates in over 37 countries so it is one of the largest most impactful organizations that empower women we tackle poverty head-on because when you change the trajectory of a woman's life both professionally and personally you not only touch her but her entire household so it's the economic impact that we do. I love fashion, so I love to empower women through fashion, but we give them more than just clothes. It's the confidence that we build in women. If you think about it, when you go for a job interview, you have a girlfriend that you call like, "Hey, can you look over my resume? Can you run some warm-up interview questions or just someone to walk you through the process of what you need to do to highlight the skills that you have?" We have ongoing support once they do get the job because some of our clients that we we like to call them clients that we support, some of them are coming out of human trafficking or domestic violence situations, homelessness, or because our continuum is so broad, they may be downsized and they weren't foreseeing that that was going to happen. Maybe they've been out of work for a while on maternity leave or stay-at-home moms, and you just need that boost of confidence both in how you look, because when you look better, you perform better, but also in substance and how you feel, project, and perform on an interview. So that's what we do. The streaming proceeds from the show go to support that. I think Dress for Success, I think it's in episode either four and seven, or I don't have them memorized by heart, but we're in London and showcasing what it is
0: that we do to empower women and I I love what we do. Living abroad as a family is different than a single person living abroad. What has been the hardest part, the biggest struggle you've had as a family while living abroad? And what has been the best part? Oh
1: hardest parts. Twofold. I think when you have third culture kids, it's always, as a mom, you're always first and foremost concerned about them settling and finding their way and meeting friends and then having to leave friends and picking schools and having educational opportunities that are optimal and just being able to help them navigate this constant change, which I see in my children has been a huge blessing there are adults that don't deal with change very well. So helping kids to navigate that. And then this time around when we moved, my daughter is 13, my son is 11. So they have attachments, they have friends, helping them emotionally navigate through change. I think it's been one of the biggest. That also coupled with packing for people, because it's not just yourself, but packing and unpacking and organizing a home for a lot of people is always a struggle, especially for me, because I'm a bit of an A-type personality and I've had to loosen up on my OCD tendencies just for the sake of everybody's peace. But I think one of the best parts of living abroad, the appreciation for other cultures and the flexibility and the ability to navigate change that we all have now. My kids have seen over 27 countries I stopped counting at the number of countries that I've visited, but having lived on three different continents for them, they have absolutely no idea of limitations for themselves. They have a very diverse group of friends that they've accumulated over the years, and they feel at home anywhere. And that's a beautiful thing to see to be able to build the ability to be flexible and to appreciate others and to be multilingual. I think it's just been a real blessing for us as a family and for myself and that there are certain skills and gifts and talents and passions that I would have never pursued had I not stepped away from the traditional practice of law and expanded my capabilities to be an author, an actress, a filmmaker, and all of these things that I was too busy adulting in the traditional way to do before we moved and never took a moment to really say, well, Juanita, what really makes you wake up on fire? What do you do or what can you do that you never feel like you're working? And what all can you do with your law degree? Film is a business. Entertainment is a business. And so it's it's used in a different way. I feel excited about everything that I touch and I'm not sure that I would have arrived at that space had it not been for living abroad.
0: Some families have difficulties and sometimes fail as a family living abroad. What do you think makes a successful family experience while living in another country? And what advice would you give to other families? I would give the advice before you get on the plane,
1: sit down and talk about what does success look like for you and your family? What does that look like for you? What does a successful international assignment look like? What do you need? And don't be in denial about what it is that you need. I think if you're a trailing spouse, to go from trailing to accompanying is a journey and it's a journey in the headspace. Let go of what you think that you are giving up and focus on the opportunity that's in front of you. But in the process of letting go, give yourself permission to mourn that which was familiar, that which was comfortable, because the process of going into something that may be uncomfortable for a period of time is all for you to arrive at something greater. But I think enlisting in a life coach does not hurt anything. And for the spouses that if your job is the one that's leading there, I think you have to be extra sensitive to your spouse that's trailing or accompanying you. It's a perfect example. I had a friend who was a TV producer in the UK. She stepped away to follow her husband to Taiwan and had a four-year-old daughter and she was really happy to be full-time mom to have this opportunity that she otherwise would not have been able to have. And her husband said to her one day, well, you have a great life. Like, why are you upset or why do you have any down days? You spend all day with our daughter. I don't get to do that. You know, I don't get time to spend with her all day. What could you possibly have to complain about? And I had to explain to him and to her and say, you have to acknowledge and not shrink from the reality that there's a part of us that we're starving And you agree to do that. You cannot blame your spouse for it. You have to starve a particular side of you. And that's okay. You'll feed it in a different way. But with every starvation, there's a hunger pain. So he doesn't have to starve being a dad. You may not see her as much because you're working. But when you walk through the door, you still receive the love from your daughter. There's a part of us professionally that we may have to starve. And we sign up for that. And it's okay. Figure out how you're going to feed the side that you're starving. What are you going to replace it with? What does success look like for you? Figure that out before you get on the plane. It doesn't have to be perfect, but just have something in mind and then increase the sensitivity because starvation and hunger pains are real, but they're only temporary. And once you start feeding it with something else and finding purpose, it's a beautiful journey.
0: You've touched on this a bit, but maybe you can expand on it. What have been the benefits and disadvantages of raising kids while moving between different countries and cultures? immense benefits i think third culture kids have a beautiful
1: lens on life they get to see life in a way that i certainly didn't again there are no limitations they become so easily adaptable i just had parent-teacher conferences for my daughter and my son and all and said i can't believe your kids are new to the school your daughter is the most popular person in the school it's like she's been here her whole life Now, my daughter is a bit of a social butterfly. If you watch the show and she said, I am the star, she means that. That was not Mm -hmm. scripted. No one told her to say that. That's her personality. I think it's made them very outgoing. Again, they're not really stuck on the inability to navigate things that are different, certainly appreciate other people, other cultures, knowledge of other cultures, things that they learn in social studies have great context for them because they've been to so many places and seen so much difficulty. I don't think there are any disadvantages. I think you just have to figure out what works. When we moved to London, my son was 15 months old. My daughter was three. I was still nursing him. So I think that you will go through the typical seasons raising children that come with their own challenges. You'll just do it in another country. As with moving anywhere, there are always challenges like, where do I buy socks? What's the equivalent of Target in Taiwan? (laughs) So you always have those natural settling in things that you have to overcome. It's not necessarily a disadvantage, but it certainly is a challenge that you have to figure out what works for them. And that is making friends and then having to leave friends. I think that's always hard, but that's hard for some adults to do, makes them stronger people. But with technology now and Snapchat and TikTok, They've got friends all over the world. Back in my day, I would have had to have a pen pal. They don't have to do that now. That becomes even less of a challenge. And I fully expect for them to have friends that they go to weddings all over the world, you know, and go and take girl trips all over the world. They still have close friends that they met in the UK that are now in Portugal and Brazil and Africa and all over the world. I think the pros outweigh any
0: challenges. After living in several countries and meeting other Americans abroad, are there any common themes or threads that you find within the different overseas American communities? I imagine that the struggles are somewhat similar, no matter if one is in London or Singapore. I'll tell you the biggest difference that I see. People say that
1: Singapore is like Asia-lite, or it's the London of Asia, and it's very true. The biggest difference that I saw, especially being in different places in Asia and living When there is a true language barrier that exists, I think that takes it up a notch. And that's what I experienced when we moved to Taiwan. If you don't speak Mandarin, you're really going to have a problem. They're trying, but it is a challenge. It is not like Singapore where everybody speaks English and it's no big deal. And it's very much like living in London. London was culturally different. And British English is very different than American English. But it's still English, and at least someone can explain to you how you just misspoke. But when you are in a country like Taiwan that is very local language driven, it is challenging because then it becomes an issue. And thank God for Google Translate, there were still some things in the grocery store that I could never figure out what those greens were. They tasted great, I just cooked them like they were collards or mustard greens, but they weren't. I'm not sure what they were. Um, And you just have to sort of navigate streets and street signs that are not in English. And also as being African American, there is a distinct difference when you're in an environment that hasn't seen a lot of diversity. So Singapore Mm -hmm. is extremely diverse. London is extremely diverse. Taiwan is not. And so I think depending on your background, those situations can also present challenges i walked into a hair salon and they looked like they were going to faint and i had to reassure them that i was just there to buy shampoo i was not going to make them attempt to do my hair there were no black hair salons in taiwan and they looked like oh my god what is she going to ask us to do and so those type of things can be a bit much to overcome and they do vary from place to place but i think the common theme is finding your tribe and everybody that settles they navigate towards what is familiar. So you have these American pockets, but I think the true beauty and growth takes place when you go outside of those and you really start to explore the local
0: experience. And that actually brings me to my next question. Do you think black Americans living abroad have different challenges and what are they? I do, I can't
1: pretend to speak for all black Americans. So I think it will vary just as much as we vary. And it depends on where you're living. Some challenges don't exist in other places. So when I lived in London, I didn't have the challenge of feeling different. There were certain places that I could feel people staring because maybe they hadn't seen a lot of African-Americans in that particular area. But it really wasn't that big of a deal in London. Here in Singapore, it's not that big of a deal. It's actually quite refreshing. It's just like London is so diverse. It's so many different people. Living in Taiwan was a different experience. When the elevator doors would open, people would jump when they saw me. If I got on the bus, people would get up and move. Those type of things still occur. Although there are a large group of people that I met in Taiwan that were so open and welcome and clearly had watched a lot of television and <laughs> were very comfortable being around black American people. But it just depends on What province you went to and what district you were in. It's a reflection of where we are in the world. There are negative stereotypes about a variety of groups. Black Americans are no exception to that. And sometimes that shapes how we are handled or mishandled on a global scale. It was another reason why it was so important for me to do the show. It's not just about being abroad, but also being Black and abroad through our lens, but putting forth those stereotype breaking positive authentic images of us really impacts and influences how we are seen on a global scale. Do you think family will repatriate at some point? I'm sure we will. My parents are getting older. You just never know. I say that. London was supposed to be a 2-year assignment. We were there for almost 5. You don't know. Because <laughs> you just I say sure we will. You- we would love to retire however my husband wants to retire and live in italy we will go where the job takes us it's not really up to me i'm fine living abroad i'm fine repatriating at some point in time just because i do think that you miss out things like covid happens and things are in lockdown or you can't travel as freely as you want to in 2020 sort of took time away from my grandmother who turned 90 When we first moved to Taiwan, it was two weeks before we moved and she turned 90 and we had this party for her. My grandmother and I were very close. I said, oh, I'll be back. I'm going to spend summers in Chattanooga with you because who stays in Asia in the summertime? If you can help it, it's too hot. So I had all these plans like, oh, don't worry. I'm coming back in the summer. We'll be here every summer. And then COVID at that time. You do FaceTime and all of that at 92. Just three weeks ago, she went home to be with the Lord. And I just feel like these last two years, I could have had more time. Now, God could have given me 102 years, I probably would have still felt that way. So she was just an awesome lady. And she raised me. And that's just how you feel in the moment of grief. But when you live abroad like this, and you're not able to travel and as times change, it makes you think about well, should we go home at least for a period of time as people get older? And I think that's one of the hardships of living abroad that you just have to come to expect and and just navigate your way through
0: it. We're sorry for your
1: loss. Oh, thanks. She's in heaven, and I know I'll see her again. And heaven officially smells like white diamonds perfume. It's fine. <laughs> just, she was just a great, great person. But I'm, you know, I'm not the only person in this process. So many expats reached out to me. And express their condolences but then also said how fortunate I was to be able to go home right now to attend her funeral because people had folks that passed away in 2020 and they weren't able to go I think that is part of the things to consider when living abroad you can't always get back when you want to but that's why it's so important to cherish the times when you do go back exactly do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners I'm just so appreciative of this platform that you've created to have these type of conversations. I think, and I encourage everyone to consider the opportunity of living abroad. And if they have that opportunity in front of them to listen to your podcast, to do as much research as they can about what the journey will look like, to be excited and to be encouraged and to know that you'll find your tribe they should watch the show and be entertained and laugh, and maybe help them to navigate through some of the things that they're going through. We have a cast of about five people. We are wrapping up season two right now. We have a cast of about seven people. And so I love the fact that we showcase their journey as well, because not everybody's gonna be a corporate expat. We've got school teachers, digital nomads, folks who came for 30 days for a vacation and stayed 17 years, you know, it happens. And so I think, as you take the plunge to just be open to all the opportunities. And I'm just really excited and grateful that you gave me the opportunity to share today.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Monita, for taking the time to join us. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcastandamericansabroad.org. At Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.